Firstly, a massive thank you to all of you for making it out first thing on a Monday morning on such a wild and woolly day. Um, for those of you who haven't been one to one of our podcasts and uh, Q&A forums before, um, they're initiated by both the Chamber and the City of Fremantle as a way to build capacity um, within our city. We've been lucky enough to have one already on navigating tight cash flow, which I think was a really interesting one in these current times. And this one today is on activating retail spaces. I welcome a number of our board members here as well, and um, all of you for coming to join in this conversation. The format is fairly simple. Uh, we go through a series of um, Q&A. So I'll start by asking a few questions of our amazing panel today, and then um, I'll put it over to the floor. So hopefully you'll get a chance to ask some of your burning questions. But just to set the scene, um, the reason we picked this particular topic is one, it feels like every time we have a meeting, whether it's our small business and development committee or others, retail is a prominent conversation at the moment. Um, the retail industry has undergone a significant transformation, as we're all aware, over the last decade. And it continues to evolve quickly as emerging technologies and the internet changes the way we shop and interact with brands and our customers. It is predicted that nearly 3,800 stores are expected to close their doors across Australia by year end. So this conversation is really, really relevant and couldn't be more timely. To join us for our second podcast um, and to share their thoughts on how to activate spaces for return, we have an extraordinary panel today. Uh, Christy Dempster um, is a highly competent and experienced nationally award-winning marketing and communications professional. She's been responsible for over a decade of commercial, retail and mixed-use projects, including the reimagined laneways of 140 William Street, which I think was one of those projects that people said for years, this is never going to work, and what you did there, Christy, is just extraordinary, as well as Fremantle's newest FOMO. Simone Pirovich, creative interior designer and owner of Workshop Dine, a leading hospitality and retail commercial interior design firm based right here in Fremantle. And retail extraordinaire, Kate Hewlett, owner of Kate and Abel and its treasure trove of products from their own private hat brand, St Saviour's, to books, taxidermy, ceramics and more, as well as activator of incredible spaces under the Manny brand via Space Market where they find big empty spaces and put wonderfully creative people in them. So welcome ladies and thank you so much for joining our discussion today. I read over the weekend a great study by Forbes that reported on the five most significant trends that will shape retail in 2019. The first of those was adapting retail brand values to both consumers' emotional and social conscience with an emphasis on sustainability, remodelling and renewals was really interesting on Friday night to see both of um, two of our most significant winners in retail um, at the Fremantle Business Awards really epitomise this ethos with Glenn Cowan's photography gallery designed to change consumer perceptions around our amazing oceans and his passion for using imagery in a retail space to make that change. As well as Raw Kitchen Zero store which showcases products that exemplify the values of no plastics and no waste. So two great Fremantle examples of living up to that trend at the moment. The second one was differentiating the online experience from the masses, whether it be finding new ways to reduce the amount of time from shopping to shipping such as 24-hour delivery, in-store pickup or customising product selections. And the third one was one that I hope we really cover off well today, and that's experiencing 
and creating experimental retail. From augmented reality to colourful visual pop-ups, consumers are seeking experiences more than things with their shopping. Shopping is becoming a form of social interaction and less of a necessity, rather the point of discovering something new. The fourth one was a rise of subscription e-commerce and tailored loyalty programs designed to meet individual preferences and ship to the customer's door on a regular basis. And finally, multi-channel shopping embedded as the new normal from Instagram for millennials, Facebook for baby boomers and Gen X sitting somewhere in the middle. Our world is at a point where we need to integrate so many different channels and varieties um, as we go. So with that thought in mind, I thought I might use those sort of, I guess, top trends that have come from uh, the literature and hand over to you ladies to maybe just give a quick introduction of your business. And I might start with you, Christy, and then work back through the panel, only because I think that's the order that we've got the slides in. Um, just to cover off maybe what you think are a couple of the top trends that you see for this year, and then just give us a little bit of an intro of a couple of your projects as well. Hi, everyone. Um, I get, my name's Christy Dempster. I um, started Assembly Co. in oh, about three years ago, and we um, work with um, small businesses and large business. We work with a lot of developers on mixed-use assets and um, are really sort of um, navigate that sort of market research, um, brand, customer proposition, and, and that, I guess, if effectively informs a retail product and a development as a whole. Um, you know, I guess in terms of experience, we've wor we work on a vast array of projects. Maybe the most pertinent to yourselves might be FOMO Frio. The, um, the redevelopment of King Square is a, is a big project that we've been working with Serena Capital and Kate as well on um, for the last sort of two and a half years. Um, you know, with, there's a big community engagement piece that um, was part of FOMO Frio and that was FOMO Frio Colour, which was... Um, run sort of November of last year, which invited the community to kind of come and paint what Fremantle means to them. And a lot of that um, output is will inform the place and the destination brand when that um, development goes to market. Um, we work with the likes of um, some smaller businesses as well as your Westfields and, and other um, kind of shopping centre-esque owners of the world. Um, in terms of, sorry, I think it was my top trends, is that? I think for me, a really big one that, you know, is really pertinent to bricks and mortar retailers is that, you know, human-centred experience and design and, you know, as human beings, we're always going to crave connection. And that, um, I think, you know, identifying what that experience is unique to your customer base is probably one of the most compelling opportunities for bricks and mortar retailers um, to kind of sustain them and then translate that into a digital and online experience to make your products and services more accessible um, and to, you know, make your businesses more sustainable. So for me, it's that kind of integrated um, you know, human-centred customer experience um, that, you know, is the store and the bricks and mortar is, you know, one touch point as is online and making sure that that experience is cohesive and understanding, you know, what your unique proposition is as, as, as a business and how to translate that visually and verbally into the digital realm, I think. I don't know if that was... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's all right, I waffle all the time. <laughs> Is that me? Yes, thank you. 
Um, so uh, I'm the owner of Workshop Dine Design Studio. Uh, we're interior designers uh, based in the realm of retail, commercial retail, uh, and anything retail. We work a lot with retailers, but also landlords, a bit like Christy, where we have a client base, um, quite large uh, clients such as vicinity centres, um, down to the Prime West, um, who are a large landlord but own smaller centres, uh, to uh, funds such as Australian Unity and APIL. Um, so we work on both sides of the fence, should we say, and then a lot of our projects are, um, like the one up on the screen here, are food-based, um, hospitality-based, um, fruit and veg supermarkets um, and things like that. Um, so yeah, we have a, a five staff, uh, plus uh, my husband who helps with all the accounting and all those nasty bits. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, I'm more the creative side. Uh, as far as the top uh, retail trends or forecast, um, I don't really have a list, but I think for retailers, you do, because of the e-commerce thing like Christy mentioned, I think retailers need to focus on what e-commerce e doesn't have, which is that touch, taste, you know, the feel. Um, try and extract that from what you do as retailers and put it in your space because you can't do any of that online. So I think that's, you know, especially because we are in the food-orientated hospitality side of things, it is a little bit easier, but I think for general retail, um, you know, you have things like perfumes and lots of other, you know, glorious fabrics. Bring that out because people can't experience that online. Um, that's my forecast is... <laughs> my name's Kate, hello. Um, <coughs> I'm, I'm really going to talk um, with my Space Market hat on today. And Space Market is an organisation that's just four of us who um, pair uh, useful people with empty spaces. So we... Um, this was um, the old Myers building, which is now undergoing its transformation. Um, tend to be kind of pre-development or um, something that's long-term vacant that we would feel awkward for traditional retailers because they're enormous or not in great condition. Um, we've done the old Myers building, we've had an old supermarket, disused childcare centre, police barracks, um, brewery, warehouse. So we know that there's thousands of people looking to run businesses and then we will pair them up with um, spaces. So that's space market. I also have a shop in one of those spaces. It's called Kate Nabel No Make Hats, which I've been doing for 10 years. Um, and the other thing in terms of activation that I do is, um, this is Falls Festival. I run the um, decor and design and the creative aspects of Falls Festival and I'm working with the Fremantle Biennale and those kind of ephem ephemeral um, space activations is something else, which is a different, very different aspect, but still really important for our town. And I think that point about um, touch and feel and colour that has come through so strongly in, in all of those brief um, introductions around trends. And I'd like to follow up on your point, Simone, um, as a first question for today. If brands are to engage customers emotionally, as you described so well, Christy, and therefore attend, come back, potentially sell our products for more, 
how do we best engage all five senses in a consumer experience? And I'll maybe start with you, Simone, and then work through. Um, of course, visually, the visual um, is very important in the first instance. So if you have a uh, store on High Street, um, you know, you need, to, you need to capture your audience's eye, effectively. So the visual thing is very important, visual merchandising. Um, your windows is number one. Um, once you catch that attention, you obviously move into the next stage, which is your entrance. So build on that. So if you've got the visual, you've, then depending on what you sell, you know, the, the touch, let people touch your products. It's really important that people can feel, you know, the beautiful fabrics. And then you've got the smell. So if you've got beautiful candles, maybe put that out the front because it's those sen very sensual things that people love. It's a human reaction. Um, and I guess, Kate, you fill big empty spaces. It must be even harder to create that sense of engagement. What would you recommend as some tips around engaging all those senses? In a way, it's harder, but in a way it's easier because it's new and different. You know, and people walk in and go, what is this place? And so already you've got a reason to talk to them. But the thing that we miss out on the most, I think, talking about the difference between online and retail. And you know, online shopping accounts for 10% of sales. 90% is still done in bricks and mortar shops. Um, and we, it's easy for us to go, well, it's online, but it's not. And the difference when they come into my shop is a smile and a chat. And I've got seats at my counter so people can come and sit and chat with me. So I've, you're creating a space, and I talk about this a lot, people understand a shop and they know how to interact with a shop and they feel welcome into a shop because they understand it. A lot of people feel alienated from, say, an art gallery because they, they think they're stupid or they don't get art or they don't understand or have to talk to people. And, you know, our community facilities like our libraries and those kind of centres aren't necessarily the right point for a lot of people, whereas a shop people understand. That's why people hang out at shopping centres because they get it and they can just wander around. So what we can do now is try to create those spaces that people feel welcome to, to come into and chat. And I think having brilliant staff with a warm smile and a really open heart to the people would totally transform retail. It's exactly the same when you go into a cafe or a hotel, you know, if the people are warm, you instantly connect and you change your emotion. Baristas have the um, ability to change your day with a, you know, nice chat. So I think that's something that we often miss out on. And, and the thing with these big empty spaces that we activate, it is new and different. And that's what we're trying, something new and different. And it's you know, people want to explore and want something to do and somewhere to meet their friends and family that's different from a traditional shopping centre and also gives them something. So table tennis tables or little games for their children or, th you know, things on the ceiling to look at or changing kind of, you know, the merchandising is so important. Mm -hmm. And so people kind of come and discover something new every time. I think that's really key. And I was interested in just your point about creating difference and, and visual difference mm -hmm. and that combination and integration of even art into spaces. And Christy, that's something you've done amazingly well, particularly in 140. Um, what would be your tips on, I guess, creating that visual interaction, particularly with artwork within spaces to create new experiences? 
Um, I think, you know, from a retailer point of view, you can be hamstrung. You know, you can get to a point that you don't have the capital, you don't have the money to invest in and you're evolving your in-store experience. And, um, you know, to Kate's point, particularly when you're, you're more of a boutique opera operator as well, your unique experience is that interaction and that that evolution and that, you know, as a customer, I, I'll go into Kate's store and I feel compelled to buy something because it's a really unique, you know, um, curation of products and, and things like that. And I think that is hard for a lot of retailers to kind of carve out themselves and, and identify what that opportunity is and, and how to evolve that. I think um, we did a project at 140 years ago and um, it was really hard to get <laughs> the landlords to invest and we sort of said, you know, let us, There was we had one retailer on a corner of um, Murray Street and um, William Street really kind of standard cafe. There wasn't really anything particularly special or unique about the cafe. You know, tons of foot traffic just moving past it and this inability to stop people and grab their attention walking to work and, and home. And um, <coughs> we used Anya actually and we built this business case and said, look, let us work with this retailer and, you know, paint a mural on the glass. And, you know, that um, one case study um, ended up underpinning a whole activation campaign that we ran all th around the perimeter of the property with retailers and we worked with artists to assign them so it became this sort of first urban gallery of its kind and it got picked up in the New York Times and it was, you know, incredibly successful from the retailer's point of view because it made people stop. It got their attention and to Kate's point about, and to Simone's point as well, your, you know, your windows the the number one thing when you're operating out of bricks and mortar is like the, how are you going to capture people's attention whether it's people driving by or people walking past and you know there's so many different um you know specialists out there that, you know there's ideas on pinterest that you can get a lot of inspiration from that don't they don't have to be really expensive executions it's just knowing where to find that inspiration and how you know, determining how that's relative to your brand and what you're offering as well because I think, you know, it's really important that it's authentic to what you are doing and it, the experience is authentic to your brand and your store and your concept or your business because if it's not authentic, consumers can kind of see through that and they don't connect with it and authenticity generally, you know, helps in creating connection and things like that. And I think um, as well there's a lot of... Um, you know, to Kate's point about many, there were so many workshops and things that you ran in the original iteration of many that people were engaging with. And I think that's another opportunity if you're, you know, a clothing boutique or you're a maker, you know, is is connecting with your consumer in, in that way and bringing them in and, you know, creating that experience that's a bit more unique. Um, but also that can translate into your Instagram and your social media. It's just being a bit more proactive about showcasing your products and things every day that that becomes part of your you know your norm is you know doing your stories and things about what products and opening books or looking through the clothes rack because that's things that people are engaging with online as well so they might be at work and on their lunch break looking and they're messaging you to buy and that's 
there's a real change and shift in that whole experience that I think is a huge opportunity. Sorry, I waffled mm. on. No, 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 it's perfect. <laughs> Kate's got something else to say along those lines. A lot of people with small businesses do really operate in isolation and find that quite challenging to how am I going to have a workshop or how am I going to engage? And and I remember someone in business once said to me, one plus one in business doesn't equal two, it equals hundreds. And so that's where you look for the collaborations, the natural connections. So, And from what I do, I you know see hundreds and hundreds of small businesses, so I can pair them up really easily. But sometimes you just need that little bit of a push. But, you know, a jeweller and a, a clothes maker can come together and do a photo shoot and then they've got, you know, the the kind of spread of that, um, the, the outcome. And um, and that really helps with not only social media, but your sales and your audiences double or quadruple and stuff. So and I think that's an easy way to kind of do yeah, it. Yeah, and it's also, I think, going back to the, the visual side of things and the, the windows and the interaction, is it's also important to make sure you carry that story into your store. Because that that window display, that entrance needs to be just a snippet of the exciting stuff that's inside the store. So keep the story going. Um, don't put things out on the display that you only have one of, and that's it. Because then they'll just turn around um, and we'll head back out. You've got to ca carry them through into the store. And yeah, the staff thing's super important. That the staff are an extension of you as the owner. So make sure they're you know, yeah. they're, they're there, they're, they're the right people for your um, business um, and they're happy and smiley and love what they do. And I think all of those points are so relevant to Fremantle as well. You know, it is a city where people may have been out to lunch and then they're walking past and then they go, oh, look what I've just discovered. And so I think there is such a huge opportunity in the environment of Fremantle to create that energy of experience. And I couldn't agree with you more, Kate, just about also, and I think you mentioned it too, Christy, that idea that we need to bring people in for a reason as well. And whether it's just a meet the maker or it's a small workshop, and you may only get five people to that workshop, but then they spread it through social media, tell the next person and the next person. And I think particularly um, for millennials, that idea of that experience, rather than coming in to buy a thing, they're coming in because they're curious and we have to satisfy that curiosity and how we continually find ways to satisfy that curiosity is really mm -hmm. challenging. One of the key things I think also is in bricks and mortar, obviously we're dealing with sometimes longer term leases. We don't have the benefit, I guess, of that pop-up sort of environment. How often and what tips would you give, I guess, um, retailers or hospitality venues that have longer term leases to keep things fresh, to keep them exciting and to keep people coming back? Me? Um, uh, yeah, you need to be relevant. Always do your research. Um, uh, I think, especially with hospitality, um, nothing worse than going to, you know, your favourite place uh, for a drink or something to eat and it's the same menu over and over and over. So you have to be relevant, be seasonal and relevant, um, do your research and create something new um, without changing the, the, the heart of what you are and who you, who you are. Um, but people do need to be um, drawn in and, you know, jump online and go, oh, they've got a new, you know, menu this, this season. Um, so... Yeah, I think just relevance is really important. 
Um, I think I agree with um, with Simone in that regard, but I, I think, you know, when you have got a five-year lease term or something longer, you can go through those iterations of your sort of business life cycle that you become at a point really quite hamstrung in the sense that you might not have the cash flow there to do what you know you need to do in order to re-engage with your consumer and your customer base and bring people back. And I think that, you know, there's opportunities to probably look at, you know, whether or not um, you're selling clothing or you're selling homewares or you are you know an F&B operator you know different opportunities to identify sales and showcase products that you might have access to but you don't you haven't outlaid the capital to have them in your store so like custom orders and you know um, I guess developing your supply there's a retailer in Inglewood called La Luna and really really small operator I think she's probably got about 30 square meters and you know someone who does social media really well she doesn't have a huge breadth of product in there but she will talk to her accessibility to do custom furniture and things and um, you know I think there's opportunities looking at your suppliers and partnering with suppliers that you have that you might have worked with for years and trying to identify new opportunities um, to work with those suppliers so you're not you know, you're not as hamstrung from a capital point of view with your business. And I also think um, it is looking at um, whether or not you've got the same inventory, but you're just re-merchandising the store and you're, you know, installing it in different ways and trying to work, you know, come up with a bit of a plan rather than being reactive to the environment, I think is really important. You don't have to have a, mu a whole comprehensive plan, but just a bit of a, you know, each quarter or, you know, we're going to look at how we... Um, you know, um, enhance the store and enhance the food and beverage, you know, experience. Do we do an evening with, you know, our chef and our key really popular products? Like how can we re-engage with it? Because a lot of people and a lot of brands already have an engaged audience. And when you've got an audience that engage that's engaged with you, whether or not it's your regular customers coming in for their morning coffee, they can be your most powerful advocates. And it's important to not focus on always new people but using your existing customer base as the biggest advocates and engines for your to propel your business so I think that's quite in terms of cost effective retail and you know um, I guess unfortunately over the years have had a lot of experience with working with retailers that you know it becomes really difficult for them to re-engineer their business and overhaul it when they most need it and if you I think that's where it's important to have a bit of a blueprint with how you're going to do that um, quite cost effectively. I think it's a really good point and it's also identifying those triggers to make sure that you actually do it. I used to find when um, I had the experience, I guess, with fashion and hospitality, seasons make a great trigger to just go, I need to freshen it up, I need to make it relevant for winter, I need to make it relevant for summer and just finding something in your business that gives you a need to have a conversation with a new supplier or yeah. to find something different to actually do. Uh, even if you put it in your diary that every three months it's a new window and just moving your shop around. People come in when I move my shop around and go, oh, is this even a new <laughs> shop? <laughs> and um, the other thing is um, just keep it clean. And, you know, how many cafes do you go in and think, oh, that's grimy? Or the other thing that I can't bear is really hideous price tags and handwritten signs or on whiteboards and and I think that's you can print labels out really easily and just that's something that costs nothing you know and some of the most 
you know, just having it dusted and nice and neat and clean is really important for your presentation. Um, and the other thing is, uh, you know, I, I used to have a cafe and um, I sold it and to the new person I'd say, you know what really put all these tables together is having a little, you know, pot of flowers on each one. But he just, you know, if you ha have someone that you as trusted, a friend or a customer and say, what would you like? Newspapers every day. Okay, we'll do that. You know, and actually listening to people's feedback is very hard for a lot of people, including myself. <laughs> but um, it's so useful because they're your customers, they're spending money and they're your advocates. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I think so often I used to say to our staff, our space is not our space. It's actually the people coming into it. It's like if you're having a dinner party, the last thing you think about is yourself. You actually think about the people coming through the door and what they're going to want and what they might like to eat. And you check and you make sure totally. and you go to that level of degree and you make sure from that moment that the experience of them entering the door is like yep. you'd enter someone into your home. You wouldn't let someone into your home and just randomly make them go totally. to the fridge by themselves. Yep. It just, you'd never do that in a million years. And with food and beverage and retail and everything these days, we're competing with people's homes and their friends' homes. So you've got to make it feel, one, warm, but two, nice and neat and relevant. And, um, I yeah, I, th I think particularly now we've got um, online to compete with and that, that experience of this is my place and I've made it beautiful for you to enjoy is, you know, and it's, it's really hard to keep on top of that and not to get exhausted by changing your shop around and because you're so used to seeing your stock every day and it's so boring because you're like, and other people come in and go, I love your shop. And I think, oh, really? <laughs> but um, of course it is, you know, you chose those products or you made those products for a reason and um, be proud of them, but just try and keep fresh with using stuff. The, the conversations with your customers mm. is really important. Mm. Don't do a survey. Oh, mm. I've created a survey online. Everyone just rolls their eyes and if I see everyone, yeah, oh God, surveys. Um, just talk to them, like the newspaper thing, the fresh mm. flowers, mm. oh, do you like those? Oh, actually, I make them. Oh, great, maybe you can make them from my store. Conversation. It's one of those things and we know that, you know, I've got a 15-year-old, conversation's really hard because they're stuck in their phone. Um, but just make the effort. They actually will start heads up and talk to p talk to you. And I think uh, you know the twenty year olds, the Gen Ys, all of that. Just start a conversation, and that's where again staff is really important. Make sure they talk to your customer and find out their needs and wants. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, again, we're in Fremantle, we're so well placed to be able to create those experiences for people. Yeah. It's just really interesting that IKEA, Barnes & Noble, Nike, they're all moving to a smaller store format as well and that kind of community engagement style of, I guess, shopping. Um, and part of that obviously is to compete with online that is relatively impersonal. Um, format size, making use of space. Um, Christy, do you want to have a quick chat about that? Um, I think, uh, it's an interesting one because I think, you know, what makes sense is working smarter with your suppliers and partnering with your suppliers. So particularly from a cash flow and in, in inventory perspective, so you've not got all this, which is really difficult if you're not doing F&B, but even with F&B you can, you can hold a lot of inventory and food that is kind of your, your cash sitting mm. on your shelves. And particularly um, in fashion and apparel and homewares, you've got you know all of this um, kind of inventory that is really expensive. So I think it's, 
the biggest opportunity I would say is looking at more of kind of a smaller format curated experience um, that you are going you know back to a lot of your suppliers and saying hey you know we've we've worked with you for the last three years or four years we've we've paid our accounts on time you know what can we do what can you offer us because it's just as important for them to be selling through their products as it is for you and I think you can't um, ignore that that it's they need to help you to sell their product because without you as retailers their business isn't sustainable either so don't it's not just a one side sided transaction and that you do have a lot of leveraging power to go back particularly with F&B and work with some of your suppliers as well whether it's your you know your wine lists you know whether it's uh, you know read winemakers from down south partnering with some of those and bringing them to Perth to do evenings there's a, a lot of opportunity to be able to push back on some of those suppliers particularly if you as an operator have been really loyal with how you've paid um, you know, you've supported their products as well. So don't think it's just a one-sided transaction. And I think to answer your question, Denisha, I, you know, much to probably the detriment of a lot of clients, I think if you're in a category that's not food and beverage, it makes a lot of sense to be looking at smaller format experiences and spaces that you have the ability and, and capital to change and evolve, to Kate's point, so that um, that, that retail experience for your consumer is evolving or it's seen to be changing um, and then using a lot of that that additional money that you have to invest in like a Shopify platform you know there's incredible examples of businesses out regionally in country towns that are doing really really well that you know 10 years ago didn't have access to a national or global customer base but now do and their businesses are becoming more viable for it and I think you know, some a couple of really great operators in in Perth that will you know help a lot with the Shopify platforms, and they're quite easy to use. So I think it's just trying to find the right partners to help you as well. Um, but uh, yeah, to your point, I'd say smaller format if you're not in F and B. Smaller <laughs> format, and I think that great point about suppliers. It is amazing, no matter what product you're in, how much people love meeting a maker, meeting yeah. someone that's behind that product. And if you're working with your suppliers, it's in their best interest. It's easy to pop a person to have a conversation. And as you say, that gives you stories to then share on your social platforms and that whole integration starts to become a story of connection between your customer, the person who's making the product and what they're actually yeah. seeing. Um, it becomes store. more personable mm, and you feel like that you've, you've, you're part of their little story because you've met the maker. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. completely agree with you on that one. Um, I've got one more question before I hand over to the floor. Um, I read a great quote and I think this applies probably, Kate, to start the, the answer, but that we should stop thinking of stores and we have to start thinking of spaces. What would be your position on that? Um, <coughs> I guess, yeah, from... From a consumer's point of view, and we've spoken about this at length today, is people do go shopping as a um, social activity now. So, yeah, you want people to walk in and feel interested and excited because everyone can go to Karen Up or Burragoon or wherever and feel exactly the same, soulless. <laughs> life sucking and um and and you know sometimes I'm walking around one and I think what which where am I you know am I Boragoon or Carousel you know and so the space is what we can control you know that environment is what we can control and from a retailer to a consumer I want people to feel like they're in my my space and they feel good about it but um 
the other thing is, I mean, it's difficult depending on what shop you have, but um, to try and be inclusive, and I think that's really important now, and not to be too exclusive. I mean, that doesn't really um, apply to all retailers, but I think that that's a way to make that space available to people and to use mixed use space is really important you know to have for us we will always try and put a, a art gallery that's kind of open to the public within our retail spaces so people are exposed to that where perhaps they would never normally be and we'll have a cafe and perhaps um, just some you know free space for sitting or whatever playing table tennis um, and that change of space is really nice for people to experience. Mm. And mm. I think um, with that, the, the different spaces within the space is really important, especially with F&B, um, is making sure your space accommodates um, you know, the different demographics, mm -hmm. the, the pace of different people. Um, you know, some just want to zip in and get their coffee and zip out, so always make sure that you've got a space in front of the counter for them so they can just zip out. You're not going to catch them for more than, you know, five, ten minutes because they just don't have the time. So allow for that space, but then allow for those who want to linger a little bit longer um, and the furniture needs to accommodate that as well. And then you've got the, those who are meeting friends mm -hmm. and just want to hang for an hour and a half. Um, so make sure your space accommodates for all those different um, uh, paces, essentially. Did you have anything to add before we go to the floor, Christine? Um, I just sort of said, uh, you know, one thing that just came to mind um, was also looking at your space and looking at the real estate you have and looking at maybe, you know, taking a step back and looking at how you can use it differently. So if you have got an F&B operation, if it's a cafe, can you use it for a birthday or an evening celebration if you don't normally trade into the into the evening in your date? Like, how else can you, you know, can you use it as a gallery space and work with a local artist to showcase their work and, you know, take a percentage of that if, if it's, if, you know, some of that artwork. So I was like, looking at your lease in your space in a different, I guess with a different sort of set of glasses on, if you like, in, rather than just, you know, and maybe looking at your fit out and making sure you're a bit more flexible and you've got the freedom to move things around and move things back if you want to, do a workshop or things like that as well. I think it's just, you know, looking at it from a different perspective. Completely underestimated, I think, flexibility in furniture mm. until we created a space um, of our own that you could move around and being able to suddenly have an event for 200 people or an intimate space where people are just gathering as couples on Valentine's Day or whatever it is, having that ability to move your space around is such a simple way to give you that flexibility. I think it's really great advice, absolutely. You just put things on wheels. Um, make a communal table, mm -hmm. split it up, you know, join tables together. It's really actually quite easy to do. But that flexibility, um, but, you know, the flexibility, but ensure that you do have all those different spaces within a space. So, you know, people are all different and that accessibility is really important as well. Couldn't agree with you more. Alrighty, handing over to the floor now. Any burning questions from our guests here today? Um, just wondering if you could talk a bit to um, space activation and not necessarily within the retail space but um, sort of within communal areas and what makes sort of successful place or space activation. <laughs> it, 
I think um, a lot of people think it's like a band-aid. Like, we'll just put a mural up or, you know, we'll put some more seating in. But um, it's so site-specific. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I work with some people who are a little bit more like, well, let's look at the problems and then work out what the solutions would be. And part of the time I'm just like, let's just we just need bike racks or we just need those flipping shops filled. So let's just fill them, you know. So it, it really is very site specific. We're doing, I've been meeting uh, Vincent and Sterling about activating these shops and activating empty shop fronts is a really quick win because um, not only have you got a business operating from there, so that's someone, you've got um, people perhaps coming to use that business and then you increase the footfall and then, you know, all the other services kind of fall in behind that. Um, visual things, I mean, there's stuff which is, you know, the, the council can help with, which is like street furniture, um, foliage, trees, lighting, that sort of thing. But um, from my perspective, it's always just getting those empty shop fronts filled. And it's actually really straightforward to do if you've got a sympathetic landlord. And then that, you know, is like the centre of a, the drop of a pebble in the, you know, and then the ripples out make such a huge difference for so, so many reasons, for the community, for the economy, for, you know, everything. Um, so that would be the way I look at it. I th perhaps you guys have a different, you know, in, in those kind of open spaces, perhaps a different. Do you want to have a chat through some of the activations you did at 140 in the early days, Christy, about creating some of that interaction? Um, yeah, I guess we, um, you know, was sort of about 2010 at this time and there wasn't really no one, there was no such thing as pop-ups really in Perth at that time and, um, you know, we had to get a lot of our, uh, do a lot of research into what was happening in America and how they were kind of overhauling a lot of these spaces and I think, you know, to Kate's point, it is about getting, you know, depending on where you're located and what you're, you're offering, it's getting like-minded people or operators around you as well. So you've kind of got that critical mass which can help. Um, but it, it is so site-specific and, you know, depending on the built environment around you, you know, you might be operating down a laneway, you might be operating, you know, on a high street or down a... Um, a corridor it, it, it is looking at different ways that you can whether it's you know um, greenery whether it's bike racks whether it's you know our fresco seating our fresco seating if you're a cafe can be a massive one is looking at how you're going to activate those kind of unactive areas you know everyone sort of loves to slap up a mural these days <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that but you know um, there's definitely a place for that but could you use those walls to do something with the community that you're asking them to, you know, write your comments or write your thoughts on the walls and express yourself or, you know, so there's a point of engagement. I, do, I think, um, you know, Chalkboard, chalkboards, yeah. chalkboards on the, you know, at cafes using your basalt tiles or your the concrete floor, you know, as activation areas for kids to engage with so there's something to do. I mean, there's so many simple ideas that can help. It's just trying to find the inspiration and sometimes we struggle with that, you know, it's it's hard for all of us to continue to remain inspired, <laughs> you know, because we get to a point where, like, you're losing that motivation. So, um, And looking at the demographics. Your customers are key, customer, yeah. yeah. There's no point putting a beautiful mural on the wall and something very artistic mm. when you've got, a s you're surrounded by families with small children. You know, like, throw some kiddie stuff in there. Try not to, try. don't try too hard. Um, keep it 
you know, just a little bit loose. And a lot of it's that integration and relevancy, isn't it? I know when we did the launch of the new Mandra Forum, um, we were thinking about how do we engage a community in a story that suits all mediums and we ended up creating just, it was a really simple My Mandra and people were asked just to take a photo of the thing that meant the most about Mandra to them. And that went on all the hoarding through construction and then became part of a wall, but also became part of their social media. So they were sharing constantly this idea of what My Mandra is so that by the time it opened, people would felt that they had contributed to sharing their piece of what they wanted in that space. And I think that relevancy, but also being able to use it through multiple mediums, perhaps overcome some of that pop-up fatigue, I guess. And, I, you know, when you're looking at activating a space, um, you know, this is, you know, when someone says, we're going to put a mural there, there's, or we're, we're going to have, uh, we're going to close the road and have an event. It's really important to do it in collaboration or in consultation with people because those people will come up with some ideas and go, that's great, but what about we do this? Or, you know, then it becomes bigger and better and more engaging with the other people. I think it's really easy to go and do something in isolation and then it just fails and people will mock it because it, you know, didn't help them, whatever. Um, so whatever it's being, you know, planned, not only look at your audience but look at your neighbours and partners. Yeah, absolutely. Kate? I just wanted to put a quick question about activation and pop-up shops. Um, and probably Kate and Christy, you can answer this. How do we get landlords on board with this? I th because there's a lot of empty shops in Frio. Yeah, I'd really love to see stuff in them, as I'm sure we all yeah. would. How, how do we get landlords over the line? With it's it, again, it's a really case by case basis. I um, it's a I've had a lot of fury in my soul this year, <laughs> looking um, calling all the landlords and trying to work with them on the empty spaces and particularly, I mean, there's lots of small shops which I haven't targeted, but the bigger spaces like the old gym kid, the old new addition, you know, all these big beautiful spaces which are empty and it's a crime in my opinion that they are. Um, the way we work is to um, negotiate on a kind of cost of occupation, so we'll pay power and water, and we will do six-month terms, um, which will not affect... A lot of landlords say it's going to reduce my land value, but it doesn't. If it's not um, proper rent, it's a below-the-line um, income, and so it doesn't affect the land value of the banks, if that's the issue for those people. Um, it's... Finding sympathy and just talking to them is really, you know, and trying to convince them. Th the benefit of someone like Space Market, who I work for, is that we can kind of n do all that hideous negotiation on behalf of the smaller people that then we place in these buildings. Um, but often, you know, we've because we've worked with um, Silverleaf and Serona and um, DHA, and you know, we're starting to get that endorsement. And the more examples there are, the more sympathetic the landlords are to these kind of ideas. Ultimately, a lot of these people have inherited their buildings and they're very, very rich and actually it makes no difference to them if it's full or empty and they don't give a hoot about the community. So they're really difficult for those people to work with. What the government's looking at is um, vacancy taxes and pen penalties for you know empty buildings, but at this point we've just got to work on human to human saying, Give me the keys, I'll do something great. I'll make your property more valuable, more lettable. You'll attract a commercial tenant. It will reduce antisocial behaviour. It will increase the economy in that area. You know, all those sorts of things, which we've got 
tons of evidence. We've got, you know, the f for the Fremantle, when we started with the many building, we, um, you know, did reports of everything you can imagine, all positive, you know. But ultimately, it's trying to get to the person having the chat with them. A lot of the time, the landlord's there, but you have to speak to the estate agent and the property manager and da, 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 and you actually never can get through to them. But if you can get through to them and get on your knees and beg, <laughs> there's an opportunity. But, you know, I think uh, because one person owns quite a lot, if you can get in with that one person, you can have a better opportunity. But it's a tricky one. Sometimes it's really tricky. Uh, and I think the groundswell in some of these places, like Vincent, will help. And once one feels a little bit shamed because their property's empty, then they'll go, okay, well, you can have for six months and see where we go. <laughs> and then it's great for them, you know, and then they're proud and they feel like their egos are pumped up because they've done something good. Couldn't agree with you more. And as a chamber, that's some the, the whole idea around property and the future of retail is something we're working really, really hard on. And our next Q&A forum is on exactly that topic, on landlords' perspectives and leasing. Um, and we've got another couple of forums with some property owners coming up just because it has to come from both ends. I mean, what we're talking about now is activating our own spaces for a return, but there's a much bigger conversation around how do our own spaces fit within that broader context, whether it's within the city, whether it's with different landlords, because you can only create so much within your space and it can be the most amazing space in the world, but if it's not part of a bigger story. At the top of a lot of the problems for retail is rent. Um, and, and a lot of the time the landlords don't need the rent that they're setting and it's our you know, lives are geared around making a lot of money. And so it's hard for those people to go, oh, I could make 2000 less dollars a month and that would transform that retail proposition, but I'm unwilling to change that. So there's a bigger cultural thing there as well that, you know. I think as well, um, in my experience with a lot of landlords, there's a perception that landlords have and you've got to remember that these generally landlords are a lot older, they're different you know, generation, they've had property assets through the 80s, 90s, you know, the noughties, inherited them. Um, and there's this fear as well that if I give, uh, I do a six month temporary lease with, with a tenant, what if another tenant comes along that could pay a five year term? And it, it's this constant push and pull and re-education because it is getting to the point that across the board, all types of landlords, whether they're private families, whether they're syndicates, whether they're listed real estate funds or superannuation investment trusts, will have to come to terms that the whole landscape of retail is changing and they need to be partnering with retailers and operators at a grassroots level to turn them into longer term um, tenures. But from a, um, you know, from a ret the Retail Act's point of view, you can only stay in a space for six six months and they have to you know move you out of that space otherwise as a tenant you've got you know rights over that space so there's a lot of legislation that's come into play that's changed that from a landlord's perspective which for them they kind of see is a bit more of a risk um, but that's not necessarily the case and it's just kind of re-educating and re-engineering that and I think where we've seen a lot of challenges over the years is that if the landlord's got to you know invest capital in that space for a temporary retailer or a temporary operator they're less willing to do that they're much more willing to do that for a you know a longer longer term operator as well and the rent issue is the key and from a 
you know, you you might walk past, you know, a store on High Street or in, in you know, South Frio and go, oh, my God, I love that store. We could do amazing things there. And then you've got to go to Kate's Point through the leasing agents, through the manage, property manager, and you won't even get to the landlord in some instances. And from a leasing agent's perspective, they do not care they couldn't care less about pop-up operators because they work on a commission basis. So there's no, which is so painful for everyone else involved because there's no um, incentive from their perspective. If you, you probably leave five messages on a leasing agent, you never get a call back because if they don't think you're a real deal, they're not going to invest the time. They still do it. I know, it's disgusting. They don't, and they don't, um, it is so frustrating, you know, like we're working on FOMO in, in Freo at the moment and, you know, there needs to be more partnership and it's not because the landlord doesn't want it. It's just, you know, leasing are used to doing it this way and they've been doing it this way for so long and that's got to change as well. Mm. So I'd like to see more incubation but, but sl slightly longer term. So, yeah. you know, I think 12 months is a good incubation time for someone. I think six months or three months just isn't enough to really explore who they are. It literally is a pop-up. Um, but of course, yeah, the legislation doesn't allow for that because um, they have to jump them into a five-year lease. And then I guess there's the conversation, particularly for a lot of the longer standing sort of tenants within Fremantle, and I know this was a big issue in the city as well, the idea of, you know, that sort of pop-up fatigue and then when there's a whole lot of smaller businesses popping up, what impact that has on people who are paying higher rents and longer-term mm. tenancies and that getting that balance right. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sorry. There was a retailer we worked with years ago, Pigeonhole, and, and Johan started, he's in Freo, but he started in a little laneway on Shafto Lane and, I mean, I, it took me a solid five months to get him to take a free lease, free lease, <laughs> you know, off the Murray Street Mall and it absolutely changed his business. And I, I couldn't be a bigger advocate for trying and I know it's an investment from an operation point of view for an operator to go up and set up a pop-up or try a different space but I couldn't be a bit bigger advocate um, for it because there is just because your retail concept is working in one way in one place doesn't mean if you take it somewhere else it couldn't be you know double if not triple success you know in terms of its success rate he's a really great example of an operator that had operated in about 10 square meters of space just absolutely did not want to go anywhere, would not move. That was his format. That's what he had in his mind. And now he's across Australia. But I think, um, so I couldn't be more of an advocate if an opportunity comes up for you to, you know, I had a shopping centre as well, but, you know, if an opportunity came up for you to do something like that, that wasn't going to be a huge cost for you, or, or even looking at changing the location in Fremantle to East Fremantle, South Rio, I think, you know, you don't limit yourself as well is, is I guess what I'm trying to say um, but it is prohibitive from a investment point of view and a financial point of view to go and set up a store for six months as well so yeah I mean I, I, all of these um, businesses are small businesses with the intention to be long-term businesses right mm -hmm. so they the other thing is lots of small businesses fail whether they're you know retail or not and I think if you have a beautiful pop-up shop and you're proud of it and you're doing a good job, something different, then it will last. And you, there is no fatigue because people are enjoying it. And the ultimately, all of these ideas is to convert, uh, 
to convert the tenant into a long-term tenant and to be a part of our economy. You know, it's not to do for six months because it's flipping expensive to open a shop. Mm. And why on earth would you do it for six months? That's crazy, absolutely crazy. You might as well do a market stall, you know? So I don't, I think, I don't think there's pop-up fatigue because if it's a good business, it will last and it will become a part of the community, you know? And if it's not a good business, if it's a crappy idea, it's going to fail whether or not it's there or not, you know? Most of the time, people who aren't that great don't really get off the ground. And, you know, they have an idea and then it doesn't ever really come to fruition. And um, people support, shoppers support the shops that they like, that the windows look nice and the it, they've got great staff and the product is relevant and well-priced and all that sort of stuff. So it's all about having a good business plan, doing a good job, da-da-da-da. I just thinking as you were saying that, um, Kate, we talked a lot about um, suppliers and activating spaces and forming partnerships. And uh, I think in a community like Fremantle, it's also about forming partnerships and alliances with the people that are around you. 100%. And uh, we mentioned before, we do have passing traffic. It's, it's a foot kind of shopping experience. What would be your tips for, I guess, integrating or finding ways to creatively create that sense of journey and pathway from a street front perspective. We talked about windows. Is there anything else that you think retailers can do to help create those experiences? Jaden at Compendium Stores made a really nice little West End map. It's just a little one that he's printed out himself with all the little shops on it. And I think that is really nice. And the other thing, um, from a retailer perspective, if a customer comes in and says, do you know where I can get a nice watch? And I go, do you know where you should go? Down here. And if not, go there. And as a I think it's your responsibility to know what else is happening in the city. Where's a good place to get a coffee? Near the roundhouse. And I'll go, walk down, da-da-da-da, you know, and, and I draw a map. And then that customer feels like, I love this place because everybody knows everyone and there's a real community and I got what I needed even though I couldn't get it from that shop. And so many retailers go, I don't sell watches, the end, you know, and it's like help and, and that really creates a, um, a huge difference. The other thing that I'm obsessed with is trying to talk to the customers and change their perspective and there's a really great campaign in the UK called Just a Card and it's um, the idea is that if everybody that came in that said you've got a beautiful shop even just bought a card those businesses would stay in um, you know operation what I find is that people use my shop like a gallery so they'll come in and look and pour over the books and take photos of the stuff and really enjoy the space and say thank you so much you've got a beautiful shop and then they leave and I think I've got seventy thousand dollars worth of stock here that you've just enjoyed fingering <laughs> and buy something buy a card a seven dollar card will make a huge difference if everybody here bought a seven dollar card you know and what we need to do is and I've just started saying that, and I'm like, well, I guess shame is my new thing. Um, and saying to people, I'd really appreciate if you bought something, you know, or I make these hats, I'd really appreciate, you know, and, and they go, well, they're expensive. And I said, but I made them with my hands in this city, you know, and then people go, God, I didn't even think about that. You know, I didn't think that you buy all this stuff and you put it out on display for me. It's like, you know, if you go to an art show, that person's bought their paint and their canvases and rented their space, rented their studio, and they need to sell their flipping art to pay the bills. And same with me, you know, and I think there's a real huge education of our people to use to support our shops. And everyone goes, shop local, man. And then I go, when, when do you buy something from my shop? I'm local. <laughs> I'm flipping, coming and spreading something my shop. So it's I, so You true. know, it's a huge thing that we can all work on. And if everyone goes, this is my livelihood and I appreciate if you buy something. And when someone buys something, I like 
practically kiss their feet. But then they go, I'm going to tell my friends and every time I come now I buy a card from you. And, and, or they say to me, I read that post you made about that and now I always think about it when I go to other shops. And I think if everyone in this building said to their customers, it really makes a huge difference when you buy the smallest thing, then it starts to change, you know? And what we need to tell is our kids and the 15-year-olds because in five years they're the people spending the money and in 10 years they're really the people spending and the money. And the bi – oh, sorry, I'll be one second. And the businessmen. I'm always amazed at how many meetings people can have in spaces and think it's okay just to have a water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like totally. It's not a free nah, park. Nah, like nah. there's someone that's given you that chair yeah. and that table and, and that beautiful and environment yeah. that you're actually totally. having a meeting in. Buy a coffee. Buy a juice if you think you've had too many coffees. Because it's not all those. It's yeah. also the FPOS fees and the yeah. till system that's and right. my staff and, and cleaning the windows. Right. And Absolutely. Yeah. The so vacuum. I think that what you, what you just brought up is one of the biggest problems we have in Fremantle is that people come here to just walk around mm. and look at things and then have mm. a plate of pasta and go home. Mm. They, don't come to f they don't come to Fremantle to shop. No, and that's and, a, and a bigger and I think work you know, for strategic for mm. a higher level, it is because we haven't got the, the, national, the national shops, the, mm. the, well. the, the, rec the recognisable retailers that make people come to Frio and buy some brand jeans and then walk past your shop and yeah. say, oh, look at my new jeans, oh, with the head I, looks yeah. I would look so cool. Yeah. That's, I honestly reckon. Maybe yeah, I mean, the the there's the layers, I think, of that, the isn't there? Look, I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually grew up in the northern suburbs and for me as a teenager, I would go with my friends and we'd come to Freo to shop and we'd come to Fremantle to shop at, you know, Eros and all the really cool stores. That well, well, but, the you know, the, the ferry shop when I was 14. <laughs> no, but it was, for me and my friend, it was a day trip Same. that you would go and find these really cool boutiques that you couldn't find totally. anywhere Same. else, like Subway. There was, you know, some really awesome – and there still is. And I think it's um, – the mass commercialisation of shopping centres that has really like <laughs> become at the detriment to society. Really, like I, I, I hate a shopping centre. I hate going there on the weekends. I couldn't think of anything worse. I, as a consumer, I don't want to engage in it at all. It's weird that that's my profession, um, but for me, the experience lacks a lot of substance, and I think. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that's not the case for everyone and it is a, it is a, and they've been developed and designed in a way that mm -hmm. you go there and you can get everything that you possibly need. I think when we did, we did a lot of focus groups and market research on FOMO and that was with, we did sessions with local business operators and people that owned businesses in Fremantle, they lived in Fremantle. We also did a session with um, outsiders, so people that didn't live in Fremantle, they don't come to Fremantle, you know, from Butler to a, an art teacher at Hale to, you know, we did some one-on-one -on -one interviews in the western suburbs and it was really interesting understanding what the drivers were to bring people that don't live in Fremantle to Fremantle and that was like cultural experiences. They want to be inspired, they want to, you know, see something unique that's going to change the next time they come and, um, you know, a lot of the I guess the sustainability from an economic perspective for retailers in Fremantle lies in just over the bridge and just around you, that sort of secondary catchment area which isn't called Freo. And I, I couldn't agree more to Kate's point. It's coming together as a whole and communicating that and taking that to market and that's, you know, City of Fremantle have to do that. You've mm -hmm. got to work together to do that. But I think 
there's ways you can make that experience, you know, very authentic. And to your point about, you know, the high street retailers, well, you know, Garden City have... The high street retailers are struggling just as much as the independent retailers because at the end of the day, as a consumer, Simone can scroll her phone at night time at 10 o'clock and she can make a purchase. So the traditional trading hours no real they don't no longer apply really and as a retailer it's important for you to have that presence i mean i've bought books from kate in the city because mm. she's put it up on a story and mm. i've gone i love that art mm. book mm. do you know it, it's important to you know push that out to market at times when your your stores aren't open you know and i think it's changing your mindset that you're not just going to trade from nine to five each day really You've got to communicate to your customers that, you know, if they want to order, you can post it out to them. That, you know, they can access what's in your store any time of the day as well. I think as a community, we also, um, the City of Fremantle, we need to make sure the core services are here yeah. to keep people in. So there's some certain things you can't do online um, or, you know, the age society, they don't want to do it online. They, they need their little post shop. They need their little bank. They want to, you know, there's certain things you can't do online at a bank either so making sure those core services are available um the healthcare and yeah the bespoke shopping experience which i was the same I, i've now lived in Fremantle for over 20 years but i was northern suburbs that was my day trip with my girlfriends is jumping on the train coming to Fremantle. Mm -hmm. have we lost that a bit probably mm -hmm. um but we understand why, you know, there's there's lots of reasons why. But mm. we, as a community, we all have to work it out together, I think. Yeah. 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 Do, you, do you have anything to add to oh, no, no. Did you have anything to add to that, Dave? I, you know, it's also the retailers' um, responsibility to be doing a great job. You know, I, I think mm. whenever I walk past New Edition, I think I should buy something because they're open nine till nine every yeah. day. And I think you absolute legends, you know, this you're doing such a great thing for our city. And, you know, when people come from, I grew up in northern suburbs as well, and, and just that's just the most wonderful thing, to have a beautiful bookshop that you can just sit in and explore. And I think um, there is, that is the hook for Frio, and we've got to do better with those sorts of spaces that people, you know, when I, I lived in England for a long time and I bought a wallpaper guide and it had Compendium Store in, which was then B&M, and I just thought, I'm so I feel so proud that that is from Perth and I came when I moved back I went straight there and I thought how amazing this is like a you know an international level shop mm -hmm. and we just got to do that more because then people come and explore and find it and love it and come back again. And that's also about knowing our unique offering as well. I'm always intrigued even something like Little Leaf and Co their Instagram following is extraordinary. I mean we're talking a shop that sells plants mm -hmm. and they have a reach that is in the thousands tens of thousands and yet they're a tiny shop in my area. And they get people driving all over the suburbs to come and buy a plant that they could buy in Wardex anywhere. Mm -hmm. But they're coming there because they've been visually enticed through a network that is more, it's a story. It's a story about the pot, it's a story about the plant and it's a visual world. And they've created a brand that people want to associate with and they want to say, I got this from Little Leaf Co, not I got it from Bunnings. How <laughs> shameful, but how cool that I get it from there, you know? And if you're creating that brand or that restaurant or whatever that people want to associate with, then you're nailing it, you know? And we aren't limited by that physical space. I think that's the thing that's so yeah. intriguing is that we can tell a story and we can sell our brand that isn't limited by a physical space but is, I guess, so importantly linked to the visual. 
and we need to do that for Fremantle as a city as well. So people want to associate with Fremantle, you know, and, and that's a bigger piece of work that's happening now. But it's, you know, there's lots of elements that we can do. And all of us are advocates for Fremantle. We need to tell our friends, mm -hmm. you know, to come. Come and have a coffee at this great place. Or there's a new rooftop bar here or, you know, and buy tickets to the gigs and participate. Yeah, and make that word of mouth interesting, absolutely. And share the This Is Fremantle hashtag <laughs> as we go. Folks, we have almost run out of time, Mark. I'll let one last question go and then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll just need to wind up. All right, yeah. Um, I've been here for about seven years or something around Frio and uh, I think it's either got better or I got used to it. But um, all the, the day trip, um, I, I can relate to that from my friends, etc. It used to have a massive branding gap, so you came. I came to Frio before I moved here, and um, the image around Frio was really exciting. Yeah. And when I saw the retail offering, uh, it wasn't. So um, there was a massive gap, and it's painfully slow to see that gap being um, narrowed. So I wonder if there are initiatives, or, or you know, whether it's the retailers, whether there's a concerted approach, what we could do to connect. Mm -hmm the retail offering, so food and beverage is brilliant, mm -hmm. but outside food and beverage, um, I think the gap is yeah. still there. Yeah. It's probably less painful than it was a few years ago, so you came very excited and, yeah. okay, let's buy something. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got quite a disparate shopping situation as well. Our shops are quite spread out, but um, I mean, I keep saying that the new FOMO development is going to really transform our city. That opens um, Easter next year, and I think that that kind of swell of people. We don't have a very big uh, residential population in Fremantle, which makes a huge difference, and we don't have any big office buildings. So we don't have that, like in Leederville, they've got the water corp, so thousands of people travel in and out every day. So we don't have that, um, that footfall in the kind of Monday to Friday economy that sustains a lot of those retailers. And, and you know, there's nothing worse than just look walking past a shop and someone's on their fist just looking out, thinking, where are the people, you know? So when um, the FOMO development's complete, then they've got the offices upstairs, all these new apartments will then start filling up because people will decide this is a better place to live than, than to travel in by car or train every day. Um, and that will really turn things around. Um, in the meantime, the city of Frio are doing a lot of work to promote the city as a destination, and that's for all the aspects, for retail and food and beverage and entertainment, culture, um, and we've just got to engage with those things. In November, we've got a month-long Biennale, which is international level, incredible, be advertised across the world. We've got to be engaged with that and tell our customers, you've got to come to Fremantle in November. Come every weekend because it's going to be incredible. Um, so we've, we all play a part, you know, and I, it frustrates me when we say, it's everybody's fault, you know, and I think, well, that's hard because everyone then just can hide behind the veil of it's everyone's problem. We've got to really put a heck of a lot of effort in ourselves um, and tell our friends to shop and point out where the good spots are. Um, and I, it is a slow process. Uh, landlords are a huge issue as well because there's a very few people that own a lot of the property in Fremantle mm. and that's really crippling us at the moment. Mm. I'm just really conscious of time and I think we could keep this discussion going all day because it is truly, truly fascinating. I think my take out from a lot of what we've talked about today is just to open our eyes as well and I encourage each one of our retailers today just to walk into your space and look at it with completely fresh eyes and think what is 
two different things I could do this week that would actually speak to a visual, that would actually speak to doing something a little bit different. And as we said, it doesn't have to be cost effective. You could even steal some green fronds from somebody's <laughs> garden and pop them into your space. But walk in with fresh eyes and think, what is my customer seeing from the time they actually hit my space on the street? So thank you, ladies, each one of you. Um, your insight is so valuable and the combined experience that we have in the room is, is just extraordinary. So thank you for your time. Folks, thanks again for coming out uh, very early on a Monday morning. Please stay um, for some tea and some coffee and croissants and um, our lovely panel here will still be around if you've got individual questions for them.